The world is upside down. Hate seems to permeate the air, threatening to suffocate us all. Racism continues as a strong underlying current in our society. Black, white, how do we respond? We are tackling this intense topic today on Healthy Harmony. Welcome to Healthy Harmony, where we help you clarify and discuss health tactics to harmonize your life. I am your host and health coach, Jennifer Pickett, and today my guest is Quentin Britt. Quentin Britt was born in inner city Washington, D.C. in the 1960s, an extremely volatile time in our country. He grew up with struggle and unrest after his parents divorced when he was only one year of age. Throughout school, he showed tremendous skill and talent as an athlete and ended up as a high school All-American, earning scholarships to local universities. Instead of choosing football as a professional career, he selected the armed forces instead and chose to join the Marine Corps. Quentin states that this is where God shaped his standards of conduct, moral integrity, fortitude, perseverance, and leadership skills. Those standards, skills, and most importantly, his belief in God would come to serve him greatly as he has been met with numerous tragedies in life. In 1982, he accepted his call to ministry and went on to minister with prison ministry and street ministry. Since that time, he has served in many capacities in the church, including pastor, teacher, deacon, pastoral care, children's ministry, just to name a few. He currently serves as night chaplain at Banner University Center in Phoenix, covering many of the tragedies and traumas that so often occur, as well as serving as hospice chaplain. He lives with his wife, Lori, and their daughter, Jada, outside of Phoenix, Arizona. Hugh, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, you're welcome. It's an honor to be here. Um, I have to tell our listeners real quick, I am so excited to have you on because when I have gotten to spend time with you and Lori, um, every time you speak, every time I'm I'm honored to hear you speak, even if it's a casual conversation in your kitchen, I have to confess, I usually end up taking notes because it's that impactful. So <laughs> I'm that odd friend that says, okay, wait a minute, I'm going to, this, that, that's good stuff. I'm going to take notes. So I'm really excited for us to have this conversation today. Thank you for giving me your time. You know, I went in a little bit into your background, but I want um, people to hear more about what you do every day as a, um, as a chaplain, as a, specifically as a, as a trauma chaplain. What does every day look like for you? I know you work with some really tough situations. Uh, yes, I do, Jennifer. Thank you for asking. Um, so my job at the hospital at night, uh, has to do with, uh, ministering not only to patients, but also to staff. And, uh, one of the things that, um, that's most important to me is how can I bring a sense of peace and, uh, comfort to them all because everybody's traumatized by an event. Most of the times when things happen, we focus on the patient, which is rightly so, 
Mm-hmm. But then everybody else get what you call collateral damage. You know what? Because we all see ourselves in that position. And yeah. there's a common denominator amongst the staff and everyone that we want to help. But to get help means you get a little messy. So a part of what I do at night is I try to be aware of all of those layers. You know, the staff, how it affects the staff, how it affects the patient, how it affects the families, how it affects the doctors, how it impacts the the um, the hospital as a whole. So it's a lot of layers that you have to constantly uh, triage or sort of uh, think through to make sure that uh, I have a pulse on it and do the best I can to help them through it. Some of the things that happens at night, uh, same thing that happened in the day happens at night. Um, We have uh, people that uh, end of life. uh, So we do end of life care. Um, It's changed dramatically now since we had the COVID-19. And I think think it's going to be a paradigm shift. And how we do um, visitors and uh, family care, I think it's, we're going to really have to think through that um, yeah. because I don't believe COVID is going to go away per se. I think we're going to have to learn and live with it because as I thought through um, some of the other things that we've had when we had HIV and AIDS and uh, Ebola and Salmonella, and I mean, we had to learn how to coexist with them without uh, be, being paralyzed by them. But this is a little different. And I think this is one sort of like 9-11 is going to cause us to have to relook at how we do things. Yeah, So uh, one of the things that uh, we do is, again, uh, the end of life care. So we minister them and them. And also we have, you know, people still cold at night. So in cold blues, I go and help the, the patient and the staff. Sometimes that's very hard on the staff if it doesn't go well or just the fact that it happens because we have uh, nurses at different levels of uh, experience. Some of them are new yeah. and they'll be their first one. So. I try to be attentive to that, watch their body language and watch their reaction to kind of see what that is and always check in and see how they are to do what I can to do that. Uh, um, and then the other thing we have is the actual traumas that come in um, and you get different levels, whether it's gunshot wounds, whether it's, um, you know, suicide attempts, uh, gang violence, you name it. I mean, whatever happens outside comes to the hospital. Yeah, so definitely. all of those things come uh, auto accidents. So we go in and we minister to them and um, do what I can to help them through it. And a part of what I do in each case, uh, the framework is a little different. So when I go in for traumas, let's say it's an auto accident, then mo- mostly it's about family communication, trying to connect that person with his family because the event that just occurred, uh, the people that love him the most may not know it. So oh, what we try to do is get the information to try to contact them to make sure they know where they are to link up the family and then try to help them to navigate uh, the next steps as the information becomes available as they finish their medical assessments and then make sure the doctors, uh, you know, we help uh, facilitate the families and uh, doctors conferences so they can come in and give them updates. And then I help uh, help the family in transitioning from going from the trauma bay to the to the uh, actual room where that patient will be staying or whatever the next steps would look like for them. So, uh, and then with the uh, cold blues, uh, generally when the family is called because they're not there or if they are there, I, I go alongside of them to help. If they aren't there, then we would get on the phone and call them and then I would meet them and escort them up to the room and try to help them through that process. And depending on if the person recovers from it or... Um, if they uh, transition, then I take the time and uh, spend with them and walk through those pieces. Um, sometimes it's uh, uh, 
bereavement care and mm -hmm. uh, next steps, you know, with the mortuary. I walk through all of that with them as well. Uh, there's times when um, they um, sort of not necessarily getting worse, but not getting better. So then we have the conversation around palliative care, sort of like the bridge of care where we can't medically cure them per se. It may be something they have to live with, but it's not imminent that they'll die from it. So then we try to have the conversations around palliative care. So um, it's a lot of navigation uh, and that's understanding definitely. the systemic uh, uh, resources that's available and trying to help connect the family with those resources and trying to advocate for them and the patient uh, without uh, telling them what to do. I allow them to choose, but I just want to make sure that it's an informed decision and uh, and then try to help them to understand the medical terminology or the way that doctors or nurses explain things and what that exactly means because every profession so has its own jargon. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. they're overwhelming for those families. Yeah, so so then I try to explain, you know, uh, do you know what it means when they say we maxed out on pressers? Do you know what that means? And some, you know, because we say things and we have an understanding of it in the hospital, but when you come to somebody and maybe they, they don't, uh, haven't been to the hospital in 40 years or you know, haven't had any traumatic events. They just thinking, okay, just do it. That's what you do. I said, well, one of the things you, and I would just try to slow it down a little bit for them. Yeah. I said, so when you hear them say max out on presses, what that means is that this medicine goes in and it restricts the blood flow to the extremities in order to perfuse the main organs. And they can't do that forever because when we go beyond that time, I said, the way you'll be able to tell is you start looking at the fingertips. When you start seeing the fingertips turn purple and blue, then you know that, that they can't hold the space for long when you keep saying, keep going, keep going. And when they start turning black, what that means is they probably, it may not come back and they may have to amputate. So, you know, sometimes, you know, to hear it and say, I want it and then understand what you're asking for is two different things. So I kind of try to, my goal is to work with them in that area to make sure they fully understand what that means because everything it won't be the way you used to know it. It could be totally different yes, if they come yes. through that. Just, so, it sounds like you're communicating such difficult things, whether it's the fact that someone um, is, is at the end of their journey here on Earth or you're trying to comfort nurses, which I think it can often get overlooked is just the medical staff and how that impacts them when someone has a full code um, and maybe things do not work out well. So it sounds like you're constantly communicating um, some very tough news uh, for folks. And I hear the the care and the compassion in your voice. How do you keep going um, doing this on a daily basis um, and working in the middle of tragedy and trauma every single day? What is it that keeps you going? Well, Jennifer, for me, um, I try to to keep some keep my life simple i don't i don't try to make it complicated so some of the things i'm gonna say is not i don't think it's uh, earth shattering i just think there's some basic things that help us to uh will help me to to stay focused and one of my things is belief determines behavior what we believe determines how we respond and how we act and how we live out in life mm. and what's most important is what we believe about god so what yes. keeps me going and how I cope with all of this is my relationship with the Lord. So I believe that the the ground and the, the position that God has given me is holy ground. That's, that's the way I see it, because only God can change 
people's hearts. Only You're God so can right. move and, and touch people in, so right. in a way to really shift it. Because it doesn't really matter what I say. It doesn't matter what kind of educational level I got and all the schooling and all of that. But only God moves a person to see your intent, your motives. And the only way that I can help them is by loving them the way that God would love them or see them through God's eyes mm-hmm. to, to know what they need, to be able to, to, uh, to, to, you know, to be empathic with them, to, to, to sense and to, to read them and, and to understand what the deeper needs is, whether they get it or don't. I have to really engage them. But in order to do that, I have to be open to the Holy Spirit. So yeah. what keeps me and allows me to do what I do day in and day out is my personal relationship with the Lord. And that's uh, as sh- should be for all of us, that it's an ongoing process. We're daily growing in, in having this relationship. So I believe that God is sovereign. I don't believe that anything that happens in our life that he forgot about us. I don't think he didn't know about it because we can't say that we serve God, i.e. one that knows everything. He's everywhere present equally at the same time and has all power. And he's all loving. He can't and all wise. And he's all just he can't be all of these things and totally forget about us. You're so right. But, so I, but Hugh, how would you respond to that person who says, okay, how can a good God, someone who is sovereign, how can he allow these things to happen? How would you respond to that person? So when when a person responds that way, and I would say, I love that, I, I first would encourage them. I say, you know, I really like you asking those questions because to me, this is when the breakthrough comes. This is when real answers mm. come. When we get real and we put, when we start peeling a layer of the onion back now. Yes. Now we're getting yes. below the all the surface stuff, the me and mine, how I feel good. Now I'm getting into why am I here? Why do I live? These are existential questions. These are, this is when this, this is when the, when the, when, the, when the change takes place. So uh, that's when I get in, when they said, well, how, how do, and I said, I'm glad you asked that. So a part of this uh, idea of how could a God love the, uh, ha- have this, I said, well, let's put it like this. You can't have authentic love without real choice. In other words, you can't mm-hmm. make someone love you. God has given us what we call a free will. He's given us the ability to choose, to live a life and to have, you know, to make choices, which I think is one of the most powerful things we have is choice. Yes, uh, it to is. To make choices. And how we choose determines our direction or our destiny and how we go. In whatever aspect of your life, your choices matter. So if you choose to love God or if you choose not to love God, so now when things start happening and go south, we have to understand that the scripture tells us and it speaks about that we are in a fallen world because God gave Adam and Eve a real choice. Yeah. They had to choose to obey him or not. So when they chose not to obey, when they disobeyed, that's set on an onslaught of what we suffer now, what we call sin or separation from God. So when they start speak about having a, a how could God let this happen? It's not so much as him letting it happen, but it's it's a result of the choices that were made that we now have to live through. And a part of those, uh, the result of those choices that we live through is that people choose. Like, for example, uh, uh, a person that's drink, that drinks and drives. We know that we shouldn't do that. We did studies on it. But, well, I mean, we know it now, but before, before, the, I think it's the late. 
70s when MAD came up, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, yes. when we really got laws changed. But before then, we could, they was doing it and, you know, things were happening. But my point is, at this day and time, we know that we shouldn't do it, but people still do it. But they're making choices. So if you have a family that's, that's coming home, well, let's say me, I'm coming home from work early in the morning. Someone's been drinking and driving. They made a choice to do that. So yeah. now this person runs a red light and hit me and I'm at that light. And I go to the hospital, I pass away, lose a leg, whatever, you know, any bad, any of those outcomes that's not good. Then is it, I mean, when I say, how can I let God, what, but this person had a choice. He made a choice to do that. God allows that choice. He still takes away the, he doesn't take away the choice. We're not robots. So the reason why bad things happen is because there's sin in the world. There's evil in the world. There's a lot of decisions, a lot of choices that are made that affects others. Sometimes yeah. it happens to us. Sometimes it's a result of what we do to others. And sometimes there are things that we don't necessarily have a read, like the way cancer come on some people. We don't know. It could be environmental. It could be uh, socioeconomic. I mean, it's a lot of things that happen when you're eating bad food and sugar. And, you know, it's just so many things that influence oh the thing. So it's so easy to say God did it. But we absorb all of the other things that influences it. God, you're so right. I just. I really like how you put that. You said you can't have authentic love without real choice and that your choices matter. And I think sometimes we kind of take that out of the equation. And I think sometimes it's because we're so angry and we're so we're so upset. So so speaking of anger, uh, you know, the, the hate literally just seems to permeate the air. First of all, tell me. Um, how you are doing in the middle of this, what are some of your thoughts and your feelings as you turn on the news? How, how are you doing? First of all, uh, I'm, I'm doing okay with it because, um, I guess I've seen this many, many times. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, um, trying to think of a way to say this and uh, to be kind. Um, I, I, I don't, it doesn't bother me. I don't really see it that way. And the reason why I say I don't see it that way, because, yes, I believe that there is racism. And when I say racism, I'm not talking about individual uh, white person that hates me, you know, directly. I think it's systemic. You know, it's at a larger level. It's yeah. how the uh, the system, our country, the whole setup and how they see it. So I think it's a systemic approach to this. And I, I believe that the, the demonstrations and the things that they're doing. I understand that they're trying to bring attention to it, so I have no problem with the peaceful protest because we're trying to draw attention to it. But all of the rioting and stuff that goes with that, it sort of uh, contaminates the approach and it, it just kind of taints the whole. So you, it's like this broad brush approach that we do and it sort of waters down the real initiative that should be done. Mm, so yeah. my thinking on it is I believe that what we need to be doing is educate and we need to pe teach people to Use this system the way it was designed to change it. And what I mean by that is we need to learn. Because, like, think about it. If you can ask anybody, when I say anybody, the average person, uh, what is the latest uh, who won the football game? Or what is the latest thing on reality shows or or this thing on Netflix or whatever? They talk about all the entertainment. But You're not so many right. They spend time about knowing about the, the political issues and the things that influence us. So while we sleep at the wheel, they're passing things that, that justify or get them where they can do and do the stuff and get away with it and mm. make it legal. So I see to what me, you're saying. Yeah. So in one way, we, we make these outcries. But just think about that. Now, I ain't going to go. It's a lot of it in history. I'm only going to bring up a few. But in 1968, I believe, in April, 
when Martin Luther King got shot. I was in Washington, D.C. They were riding in. What changed? Rodney King in 92. Mm. The beating in L.A. and all that. What changed? You follow what I'm saying now? We yeah, are in 2020. So what I'm saying is that when they, Right. So but, it has yeah, but we didn't change either. We didn't we didn't educate. We didn't go. As long as we get in our little creature conference, whether it's a new this, a new that, or how much money and who yeah. this and I'm going. I mean, all of those surface things. Remember I talked about belief and behavior. Yeah. See, until yes. we until we really change our view of God, I think that's what's not being talked about. We're not talking about where is he in the equation? Yeah, no, yeah, I, I'm not hearing that discussed, uh, you know, uh, at all. I mean, I, I think there's churches going to God in prayer, and um, you know, there's prayer rallies. But again, you know, it uh, that's interesting. You know, what is our belief in in God and and how God created us, yeah. all of us? Um, so, what do you wish people understood about racism? I mean, this is clearly an undercurrent in our society that. Uh, is not going away anytime soon. And you spoke about educating ourselves. What do you what do you think we should know more about racism? I think, first of all, racism is a taught behavior. I think it's something, you know, culturally or uh, when we grow up and you get taught a certain way of how to, to treat people. But then there's an age where we mature and you become adults. And then you have to decide, do I believe that or does it work for me? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so I think one of the things we have to understand the difference in our uh, growth or our maturity as to where we are. Are we still following things that my mom and dad taught me that may or may not have been right or may or may not work for me? Or am I willing to own this belief that I no longer believe that because my understanding? So I think there's a, a, a maturity level that has to be explored because if we're acting out, on something that my dad did because he taught me this hatred or for people or that that all of them were that and you've not had that experience, that might not be that might not be the time to keep doing that. You might need to think that through. So I think a part of it is our own uh experiential journey of how we were raised and then making that difference in our moral conduct and our ethics. And I think um another uh deeper route to this is I was born black. I didn't get to choose should I be you know, Italian, uh, Native American, you know, mm -hmm. Japanese. We don't get to choose our race. We right. are who we are. So I'm saying, and the scripture tells me that I was uniquely and wonderfully created. Yes. I'm, I'm special. Yes. I have a purpose. It doesn't matter my race or color. It matters that uh, who that image that he endowed every man, no matter what race he created them all, that we've been endowed with by him. So now when we start speaking about racism, do you see yourself in, I'm going to use this up since we're talking about what's the, the hot button now, but do we see ourselves as a black person, that I'm a black person, that I'm living in the world, or that I'm, I'm this, that I am this, you know, that's your identity as being black, or do you see yourself as a man that was born black? Hmm. So I don't, I don't, you know, like for me, I know what I am. But I don't walk around trying to say, well, I'm a black man. I'm a black man. You know, like when something happened, I'm, I'm black. Oh, you're doing it because I'm black. You know, no, no. Come on, man. It's a lot of in, 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 uh, it's a lot of injustice going along. With, and if you notice, it, it's been with every race. They did it with the Chinese when we were, were coming. They do it with uh, Hispanics and it, uh, anything, you know, it's, it's, it's always been that. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a way of dividing, dividing people. So I think we need to know who we are in, in, in our identity in the Lord. 
have that Amen. deeper rooted Amen. connection. And once you have that, it doesn't matter what someone else says. It really doesn't matter what they do per se. What matters is how do we live that out? Am I go- Do I believe what I'm doing enough to go up and legislate for it? Am I willing to get out and vote? Am I willing to do the things to help create social change? Or am I, am, is it just only that a problem when it doesn't go my way or things are not happening or when violence breaks out? It only yeah. ha- occurs when death occurs. Because to me, I think, like I said, when you look at all of those uh, occasions when we've had all of these outbreaks, nothing changed. But neither did we. We still go back to our same thing. So I think what we need to do is really do that personal thing. I think our lives won't change until we change how we see God. Because when we take him out of the equation, it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we legislate. They'll find a way around it. We have to change how we see God when we start seeing each other Mm -hmm. being created in his image and that each person has value. It doesn't matter the color or the race. Yes. I love how you put that. Each person has value. And I think sometimes we're so used to living in our own little bubble um, in our own little like world with our creature comforts, as you said earlier, that we forget that each and every one of us is created in God's image and we each have value. Um, I, I think that's such a powerful, powerful statement. So let me ask you this. Is there hope? Is there hope? Where do we go? Where do we go from here? There's so much unrest and it's absolutely devastating. Everything that, that that's happening. Is there hope and what can we do? I think, yes, there is hope. I think um, the thing that we need to do in order to have change, we have to change the root. And I think the root has to come with what we believe. Yes. What we believe most of all about God and what we believe about ourselves. And once we get those two straight, it changes how I treat other people. So when I get that part right and I know that he loves me and I'm confirmed, it doesn't matter what you say about me. It doesn't matter how you act. I know in the end, I have a judge that will judge and make things right. And I'm willing to stand, of course, even if it means I don't see it in my lifetime. You see mm-hmm. the difference in the piece where I'm going with this? So yes, maybe, I did. Like I, did. I just said, we had this back in 68. We had all this stuff. We've been through this before. So even, even, if, even if it means that I, I don't uh, see that change in my lifetime, I know that the work that I've done has laid the pathway or the next brick for the person to stand on to go further with it to get some type of change mm-hmm. now whether it now i you know whether it be well i don't think it's gonna be that i'm just saying it is a cliche it won't i don't see it as peace on earth because we know since the dawn of time it's always been division whether it's the way people talk i mean it's always been that way yes. but we can make it to a point where people can be more accepting of others and get along in a better route than this i believe there's a better a higher standard that we can live to, but that will require us to have a heart change. And that change only comes through seeing ourselves the way God says we created all of us. This has been absolutely incredible. Just a good discussion as I knew, as I knew it would be. I think I had chills for most of our discussion here. And, you know, just listening to you um, talk about how we've got to change ourselves and that starts with ch- with changing how we looking at how we view God and his creation uh, which includes everyone um, and uh, so much of this is you're right it's taught behavior so I, I've, I've really been trying to listen and to learn did I do I have some behaviors in my life was I 
caught some things that, man, I need to make some changes. And what can I do every day to make a difference in someone else's life? What can I do to show love, to show kindness? And I think if we can get back to some of those basics, um, it's just, it's awful what's happening. But, you know, I think this discussion um, uh, has been uh, very healing for some. And I know that uh, there's many people that will just be uh, encouraged by your words. So I just want to thank you for being with us today. Um, uh, let us know, how can someone connect with you? If they're like, hey, I need to have a conversation or I need prayer or I just, I need to connect with you. How can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can email me at qbrit at cox.net. It's okay. Q, the letter Q, B-R-I-T-T, at cox, C-O-X, dot N-E-T, net. That's fantastic. And, and then, guys, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead. Um, and I was just going to remind our, our listeners where they can connect with us uh, on Facebook and Instagram at Inspire Healthy Harmony. And what were you going to say, Q? Uh, the last I was going to say is, uh, you know, we're talking about this traumatic event and the, the big thing that's happened. But I think one of the major smaller things, but just as impactful, is how we get along with each other on a daily basis. Because right now, working in the hospital and in stores and stuff, people won't even get up from looking at their phones, walking across the street and all that. But yeah, you know what I mean? But then, so I'm saying it starts way back in all those little behaviors. And it what does. we do then and how we become so self-absorbed that we don't focus on how we treat other people when it's a time not use it and it's a time not. And they hadn't been doing that. So that, I just think if we can start there, start learning, you know, being observant or self-aware of our behaviors or how we treat others. Yes, it's the perfect place to start. And it's the easiest place to start. Just our daily interactions with folks and just being kind, you know, sharing a kind word. And I know a lot of people are wearing masks and that gets a little bit tricky because you, you can't see someone's full face, but hey, we can still speak. We can still smile. A smile is shown in your eyes too, right? That's so right. Um, we can we can do that. We can make a difference and we can come together. We can listen. We can learn. And um, hopefully brighter days are ahead. So everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Q, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate you. Hey, thank you, Jen. Love you very much. And I hope to see you all soon. Yes, we love you guys. Guys, please remember, again, connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, at Inspire Healthy Harmony. If this podcast resonated with you in any way, I encourage you, share it with a friend. We just want to keep those discussions going so that we can make this world a better place. So until we meet again, I hope you have a healthy and happy day. Bye, y'all.